Welcome to First Presbyterian Church of San Antonio on this Reformation Sunday. What is Reformation Sunday? Well, some of you all may remember from history classes or perhaps from church services in the past that the Reformation was a movement of the Holy Spirit that took place about, or I should say started, about 500 years ago in Western Europe with men like Martin Luther and John Calvin and others. And the Reformation really began because over the the course of its first 1,500 years, although the church accomplished many great things, by the 15th and 16th centuries, the church had sort of lost its way. It started to drift away from the Word of God and from the, the simple, powerful gospel of Jesus Christ, the simple, simple, powerful message of God's love, of His grace through Jesus Christ and salvation through Him alone. And so it was important for that generation to follow the leading of the Holy Spirit and to remind not only the church, but to remind the world that God sent His Son into the world, not that we would be condemned by Him, but rather so that we might be saved by Him. Well, we like to understand, too, that that Reformation continues today. It's not something that just began 500 years ago and is locked in history books. It is something that continues today because we see that the Lord is changing His people. About every 500 years, it seems that there's this great movement of the Spirit. And if you remember last week hearing from Merdad Fahidi in, in our church, in our service, you'll, you remember that that the world is coming to Christ, that, that the gospel is spreading out into different parts of the world at a rate that we, cannot, we can't even calculate. Places like Africa, Iran, Asia, places like South America and all over the world. It's even penetrating in new ways in our own country. And so we're excited to be a part of that movement of the Holy Spirit in the world. I thank David West for giving such a great sort of overview of the Reformation and why we're here this Sunday. I do want to point out, as I did in the earlier service, that he did mention the two most prominent reformers, Martin Luther and John Calvin, both started off as lawyers who became pastors. And we're hoping that that means that Dave West is telegraphing a move for the future. (laughs) But aside from all that, we also want to remember that these movements are movements of the work of God through the Holy Spirit that took place to return people to that core gospel, that core message that our salvation rests in Christ alone. And they wanted to make sure that that word got out to all the world. Well, today, because this movement continues and because it's just about time for another one of those 500-year movements of the Spirit, we are proud today to, to invite Dr. Greg Perry to the pulpit. Greg is the president of Third Millennium Seminary, which is part of Third Millennium Ministries, which is a ministry that began in part to serve the world by putting seminary preparation, pastoral training and preparation into a form that could be exported around the world using the internet, using video, using all those modern techniques. The uh, Third Mill Ministries has now translated uh, basic Bible education and even advanced theological seminary education into, I believe, 27 languages, has it all over the world. And here's the beautiful part about that. They send it all over the world for free to Africa, to Asia, to to Europe, to 
uh, to different parts of this country, to Latin America for free, so that men and women can be equipped to lead the church and to lead in this movement of the Spirit that is taking place right now. We are partnered with Third Mill Ministries, and with them we are trying to find ways that we can continue to raise up leaders, not only from our own church and for our own church, but also for the city and even for the world. We're working with church planters. We're working with mission leaders. We're working with storefront pastors who, who are ready, who have the Spirit on them, who are, who are preaching and teaching but need that, that, that fortification, need that extra training to really build healthy and flourishing churches. And Third Mill has, has come to us and we've gone to them to, to work together so that we together can deepen the training, deepen the discussion of both lay leaders and future pastors for the work of God's kingdom in the world. Greg Perry is, uh, up until recently, I guess, was vice president of, of new projects at Third Mill and that greatest, the third, that greatest project was Third Mill Seminary, which is... Uh, which is as I've described it, that training, uh, training program for pastors. I'm very proud that, that Greg is here because he is also a graduate of my alma mater, Union Theological Seminary in Virginia. So I'm, it's always good to have a, another graduate here. Uh, and so it's always great to celebrate that past. But now I would ask you to please, uh, oh, excuse me, before, we, before I say anything, uh, we also want to mention too, again, what David mentioned earlier, that we will be having a Reformation gathering this evening to not only uh, celebrate the Reformation itself, but to hear Dr. Richard Pratt and Greg casting the vision for ways that we can continue to grow the church. Uh, it's, it's really cool what God is doing in this church right now. It, the way I think about it is it seems like seminary training, pastoral training is really kind of taking ways, is taking place outside of the box these days. And the more I think about it, it's like God's building a new box. He's building our box. And our box is the part that's outside of the box in a lot of different places. And so we're so glad to be able to welcome Greg Perry and Richard Pratt, who's preaching in the modern service now, to the pulpit this morning and this evening. We hope that you will come tonight at 6.30 to hear more from them. Would you please welcome Dr. Greg Perry. Good morning to everyone. It's really good to gather on this Resurrection Day uh, to worship our Savior and to open God's Word together. It's been encouraging um, to hear David's emphasis on just the commitment to the Scriptures alone and to, and to be inspired by your church's vision for equipping church planters. And, um, and we know that the, really the tool that's needed and that they're so hungry for is a deep engagement with the Scriptures to hear the Holy Spirit speaking through the Scriptures because that's how lives are changed. The Word of God is living and active, and it divides even to the depths of soul and spirit. And so we want to open that Word together this morning to 1 Corinthians uh, chapter 15, a very famous and well-read text. And as we do so, let's pray together. Lord Spirit, thank you for this famous text a text that you've inspired and preserved for your people. Spirit of light, would you illuminate our minds and enliven our hearts that we might hear your voice this morning. 
that we might hear this text in afresh with really thirsty hearts and hungry ears. Spirit of Jesus, you are our master teacher. You not only know this word well, but you know each of us well. You know where we are this morning and how to reach us. So bread of life, feed us. We ask it in the name of the Father, and the Son, and the Holy Spirit. Amen. So why are we reading 1 Corinthians 13 on Reformation Sunday? I think this is the first time that I've ever heard a sermon on 1 Corinthians 13 on a Reformation Sunday. If you've been raised in First Presbyterian Church or in the Reformed tradition, you might be expecting to hear something from the Galatians or from Romans, those those texts from the Apostle Paul that really trumpet the values and the core recovery of the gospel that the Reformation is, that our salvation is by faith alone, through grace alone, in Christ alone. What a beautiful, joyful, wonderful thing to celebrate, that the Holy Spirit brought about a transformation of the church by recovering the gospel in the Reformation. But I, I want to argue that today we have a unique opportunity in reading 1 Corinthians on this Reformation Sunday, and that is to actually hear this, I think it's like the third most famous chapter in all of Scripture, right? From Psalm 23 to the Lord's Prayer, this is probably the most read, most famous passage in all of Scripture. And we usually hear this, don't we? It's kind of a standalone. And where do we hear it? Weddings. At weddings, that's right. And as appropriate as that is to remind us of what true love looks like, this morning in the context of this sermon series that you have on 1 Corinthians, we actually get the opportunity to overhear this text in its original context. Paul is saying to the Corinthian congregation that their life together, if it is to stay together, if they are to come back together, is going to have to be by love alone. So that is our theme today. Our theme from this text strikes a different note than maybe a reading from Galatians or Romans this morning, but the theme, the emphasis, is so vital to our understanding of what God has done for us in Christ. And so I want to say to you, our theme is by love alone. Can you say that with me? By love alone. The opportunity that we have to overhear the Apostle Paul's conversation with the Corinthian Christians uh, is to hear this text afresh. We need to remember that Paul's conversation is about what it means to be spiritual people, what it means to be the Holy Spirit's people. And as Bob and David have reminded us, that's what the Holy Spirit was about in the Reformation, to revive God's people, to restore God's people to the understanding, a true understanding of the gospel and of their mission in the world to spread this good news about the kingdom of Christ. What does it mean to serve as ministers of reconciliation 
in a highly competitive dog-eat-dog city like Roman Corinth, or a rapidly growing successful city like San Antonio. I think I just read that you were the third fastest growing city in the United States last year. But we often hear this outside of this context. We hear it as a soothing, inspiring poem, which it is and which it can be. But when we listen to it in its original context, we understand that this passage actually functions more like a cardiac crash cart to shock our hearts, to shoot the adrenaline into our hearts, to revive our hearts, to a true understanding of what it means to be the Spirit's people. So though Paul's rhetoric is soaring, though he is praising love, he is most definitely not praising the Corinthians. It's not designed to soothe them. It's not really designed to inspire them. It is designed to unsettle them, to make them squirm in their seats. So let's lean in and let's overhear this conversation. And as we do, let's listen for the sake of our own heart health, what it means to be the body of Christ. That's what this passage is about. It is for the church, the bride of Christ. That is the primary aim, to restore us, to revive us, to bring us back to the main thing and what it means to be the people of God. Now, before we read verse 1 of chapter 13, I want us to remember where we are in this conversation, to recall that we're in a particular section that began in chapter 12. And verse 1 reads like this, Now concerning spiritual gifts, brothers and sisters, I do not want you to be uninformed. Now Paul really knows his audience well. He knows how much they prize wisdom, how much they prize knowledge, that they are the people who are going to be in the know. They're going to be scrolling, they're going to be figuring it out, they're going to be looking, they're going to be in the know. And so he appeals to that love. I don't want you to be uninformed. He also knows that they prize the upfront showy gifts of speaking in tongues, of prophecy, of miraculous works, and that they set them up as a standard, as a test for true spirituality. And now we begin to get what Paul is on about. I think that the English translation of 12.1 is a little bit overstated because actually in the original text, the word gift is not there. The word gifts appears a lot in chapters 12 to 14, but not in 12.1. This is what it says, now concerning what it means to be spiritual people. Paul is addressing how it is that these gifts that he's going to talk about so much in 12 to 14, how it relates to being the Spirit's people. He's going to argue that by love alone, we become spiritual. So now we're ready 
to hear verse 1 of chapter 13. If I speak in the tongues of men and of angels but do not have love, I am only a resounding gong or a clanging cymbal. If I have the gift of prophecy and can fathom all mysteries and all knowledge, and if I have all faith so that I can move mountains but do not have love, I am nothing. If I give all that I possess to the poor, if I give my body over to hardship that I might boast but do not have love, I gain nothing. Now, overheard in this context, in terms of how the gifts relate to what it means to be the Spirit's people, we can see that verse 1 is actually the reason for the whole chapter. It is not a soothing bomb. It is electric shock therapy. But Paul is going to lessen the jolt a bit. Paul is going to actually set up himself as the example. He's going to speak in the first person because Paul understands very well the risk, the warning, the temptation of setting up spiritual, so-called spiritual activities, spiritual gifts as the proof, as the demonstration of a spiritual life, of being the Spirit's people. Paul speaks in tongues, as he's going to say in 14.8. He's not against these gifts. He's going to tell them to pursue prophecy in chapter 14, as you'll hear more about next week. No, Paul's not against the gifts. This is not love versus the gifts. This is about how love is the operating system, is the software for the functions of the gifts, how they're supposed to function in the body of Christ. The end of verse 1 is really jarring because many in Paul's audience would have understood this reference to gongs and cymbals because at one time they participated in pagan worship services that used gongs and symbols. The purpose of the gongs was to get people's attention, was to impress people, to get the God's attention. Man, this is strong medicine. And Paul isn't finished. Even this gift of prophecy that he's going to say is of primary significance and benefit is not exempt from Paul's shock treatment. Though prophecy can clarify mysteries and it can acquire knowledge and clarify things for us, if we pursue knowledge, and we're going to talk more about this in terms of the partnership between third millennium and your church, how do we go about the study even of the Bible? It's important how we approach it. Paul is saying if we go about even the study of Scripture to acquire more knowledge for our own advancement, for our own status, for our own influence, it does not prove that we are the Spirit's people. On the contrary, Paul knows so well from his own study of the Bible before he met Jesus that it can actually misguide us. It can actually get us off course. If we don't approach study, knowledge, wisdom from the standpoint of love, that its purpose is not for us, it is for others. Yes, it's for us to grow too, but it is for the sake of the whole body, 
not for the sake of putting certain people up on a pedestal, of separating people. No, it's for the purpose of bringing us together, of building us up. Paul writes in his own resume that he gives to us in Galatians 1 and Philippians 3 that he advanced in Judaism and in the traditions of his father beyond many of his own peers. He was head and shoulders above his classmates in Hebrew school. He got straight A's, studying the law, grasping its content, learning how to argue from it. But when it came to true knowledge, to true righteousness, to a personal knowledge of God, Paul says it was worthless to him, that it did not lead him to Christ. So the, the addition of this word, profit or gain, is very important here. Remember how he says, I am nothing. I am nothing if I have not love. And then the last one he says, I gain nothing. So Paul is exposing two approaches to, to spirituality, two very different approaches, two different understandings. On the one hand, one is very competitive, very divisive. It breeds arrogance and pride. But on the other hand, the approach is communal, fostering interdependence, encouraging and building up one another. One seeks to gain honor. The other seeks to give honor. One seeks to promote ourselves and the other wants to lift up our brothers and sisters. So here is the shocking bottom line of what Paul is up to in his crash cart. He is saying that exercising these gifts of the Spirit does not provide enough evidence that we're even Christians. Let me say it again. Paul is saying that exercising these showy spiritual gifts in this version of what spirituality means does not provide enough evidence that the Corinthians or you or I are even the Spirit's people, even Christians. Now, wait a minute, Greg. What are you saying? Brothers and sisters, I'm saying that Paul is actually thinking about Jesus' words. Do you remember what Jesus said in Matthew chapter 7? Jesus talks about spiritual gifts there, too. He says, in the last day... Many will come to me and will say, did we not prophesy in your name, Lord? Did we not cast out demons in your name? Did we not do miraculous healings in your name? And I will say to them, depart from me. I never even knew who you were. All of these things, all of these gifts, speaking in tongues, prophecy, the miracles of casting out demons, of even healing people, they're great things, they're good things. But to glorify God and to be of real benefit, they must be done with love for the good of others. When these gifts are exercised 
for our own sake, for our own honor, for our own advancement, they actually attract a praise that is its own reward. It stops right there. It doesn't keep going. It doesn't reverberate to the glory of God. It just stops with us. The exercise of these gifts, apart from love, actually cultivates division, competition. That very thing that the Corinthians are suffering from. So what was meant to be given freely in the light of God's prior, bigger grace and mercy becomes anti-grace because it's loveless. By love alone, we become spiritual because God's love is poured out into our hearts through the Holy Spirit, that prior love, that prior mercy, and it produces love, joy, peace, patience, kindness, goodness, faithfulness, and self-control. And so what do we read right here in the next section, starting in verse 4? Love is patient. Love is kind. Love is not envious. It is not boastful or puffed up. It does not dishonor others. It is not self-seeking or easily angered. And it keeps no wrongs. Love does not delight in evil, but it rejoices with the truth. It always protects, always trusts, always hopes, and always perseveres. By love alone, we become spiritual, but also by love alone, we become real again. Some commentators about this section think that Paul is reflecting on the life and ministry of Jesus, and that is true enough because John writes this. He says, this is how we know what love is. Jesus Christ laid down his life for us. But there's actually a second part to that passage in 1 John 3.16, and, and really it is the point that Paul is making in concert with John, and it's this, that we also ought to lay down our lives for the brothers and for the sisters. By love, we become human, real. In 2022, that wonderful children's book, The Velveteen Rabbit, turned 100 years old. Why has Margie Williams' story remained so relevant? What does it touch in readers? You probably remember the story about the toy stuffed rabbit sewed with velveteen coat who's given to a small boy at Christmas time. And of course, as kids do, they play for the toy, play with it for a little while, and then they set it aside. He goes on to the more shiny toys, they have the wind up, they have the springs, they move, they make noise. And then, as toys do in children's books, they talk to each other in the nursery, right? And these other toys, these shiny, moving, noisy toys, they're, they're giving it to the Velveteen Rabbit. They say, he can't move like us. He's not real. But the skin horse speaks up for the rabbit. The skin horse had belonged to the boy's uncle. And he says this, real isn't how you are made. It's something that happens to you when a child loves you for a long, long time. 
not just to play with, but really loves you, takes them with you, you become real. And what happens in the story is that the boy loses a toy that he's been sleeping with, and so his nanny gives him the velveteen rabbit to sleep with, and he's delighted to see this old toy, and he starts taking it with him everywhere to his adventures in the woods. And over time, the wear and tear of the boy's touch of being with him begins to thin out that velveteen coat, just like what had happened to the skin horse. The soft, worn old skin of the velveteen rabbit reveals the way that love works. It makes us real. It makes us alive. It puts up with a lot. As the old King James says so beautifully, charity suffereth long. But it is also actively kind. And we see in these two dimensions of love, we see the forbearance of the Father, who is patient, not wanting any of us to perish, but to come to repentance. God holds back his wrath, and even towards the chief of sinners, Paul, he shows mercy. God made him who knew no sin to be sin for us, that we might be made Real, the righteousness of God, truly human again in Christ, through Christ, by his love. Now, other commentators are pointing to verses 4 through 7, and they say, oh, this is a pre-existing poem. This actually works well as a standalone. But there are too many words here. There are too many echoes that are specific to the conversation that Paul is having with the Corinthian church. When Paul writes that love does not envy, the word ricochets off of chapter 3, verse 3, where Paul rebukes them for their jealousy, the same word. They're fleshy, not spiritual. When Paul points out that love is not puffed up, he echoes chapter 8, verse 1. Knowledge puffs up, but love builds up. In his new book, David Brooks writes, In every crowd there are diminishers and there are illuminators. Diminishers make people feel small and unseen. They see other people as things to be used, not as persons to be befriended, but illuminators... On the other hand, they're so curious about other people. They know the questions to ask. They look and they pay attention in shining the brightness of their care. They make us feel bigger, deeper, seen, lit up. In The Art of Loving, the psychologist Eric Fromm summarizes our deepest need that we must overcome our aloneness, our separateness. The Harvard study that traces the life satisfaction of over 75 graduates over 75 years is summed up this way. Happiness is love. Full stop. So Paul is saying that those of us who've experienced God's prior bigger love, God's mercy 
that we are to be illuminators. He repeats the word agape. He underscores that love is the main thing. Love, not the exercise of spiritual gifts, is the indelible mark of Christian identity. What did Jesus say? They will know that you are my disciples if you have love for one another. So by God's love, we become spiritual. By God's love alone, we become real. And finally, by love alone, we are becoming like him. As useful, as necessary as these spiritual gifts are to our lives and our ministries here, right now in our families, in our workplaces, in this church, they have a shelf life. They have an expiration date. But on the contrary, love never stops. It it never expires. It never becomes irrelevant. It is the only action, and indeed for the New Testament authors, love is primarily action. It is the only action that gives us a foretaste of the new world, of the future, of the way things will be when they're all made right. As for prophecies, they will pass away. As for tongues, they will cease. As for knowledge, it will pass away. For we know in part, we prophesy in part, but when The perfect comes, the partial will pass away. Right now we see in a mirror dimly, but then we will see face to face. Now we know in part, but then we will know even as we are fully known. So now faith, hope, and love, these three remain, but the greatest of these is love. So as we've been saying, we at Third Millennium Ministries are excited about your vision for church planting, about your study center, your vision to equip church planters. These gifts are vital. They're important. They're useful. But remember, they have an expiration date. So how will we approach this? How will we approach the deep study of the scriptures? How will we approach knowledge and true wisdom? There is a way to do it, the way of love. Now, here I am. I'm a seminary professor. I've invested a lot of time in acquiring knowledge. I'm all for seminary education. It's one of the reasons I'm here this weekend. But Paul says I'm on borrowed time. He says the gift of knowledge is passing away. Do you remember the prophet Jeremiah's words? He said, The days are coming, declare the Lord, when we will no longer teach our neighbors and our brothers and sisters, saying, Know the Lord, because they will all know me, from the least of them to the greatest. Or the prophet Habakkuk. He says, The whole earth will be filled with the knowledge of the glory of God. The Spirit's gifts are important. Paul doesn't set love up against the gifts, but they are limited. Even these wonderful gifts that we in the Reformed tradition prize, teaching, preaching, prophecy, knowledge, wisdom, 
So brothers and sisters, why are we reading 1 Corinthians 13 on Reformation Sunday? Because it's by love alone that we become spiritual. It's by love alone that we become real. And it is by love alone that we are becoming more like him. In a recent article entitled The Irreducible Intelligence of Love, Christian philosopher James Smith wrote about his graduate study. This is what he said. Nothing beats the love of wisdom out of you like a graduate program. <laughs> what begins as an adventure, a quest for wisdom, ends up as a search for a job. It's not that I've entirely given up on the truth. It's just that I'm quite convinced now that we will not think our way out of this mess. Analysis will not save us. The grace of God that will save us is powerfully demonstrated and enacted in the beloved community of God's people, not in rational enlightenment. As one theologian put it, in the end, love alone is credible. Nothing else can be believed, and nothing else ought to be believed, because God is love. Let's pray together. Lord God, we thank you for this text. We thank you for the bold love of the Apostle Paul, who could get in the face of the Corinthians because he loved them so much. He could teach them with love from his own experience of putting the activities and gifts of ministry as the standard of knowing God instead of the essence of God. So Lord, thank you for this text. We ask you by the power of your Holy Spirit that you might energize us to be illuminators, to be edifiers, to be that beloved community that is the testimony to the world that the Father has sent his Son, grace and love with skin on, we love you, Lord. Thank you for loving us first. Amen.
especially on Reformation Sunday. I love it because, because a mighty fortress is our God is one of the great just fight songs of the church. I love that. But beloved, I want you to hear this, okay? This is what both what Dr. Perry and what Dr. Pratt said this morning. And if I may summarize an idea, it's this. It's that, yes, that's a great fight song. But when we're at our best, the Reformation reminds us that the gospel is a love song. Our fight song is a love song. And it is that, that God gave his only begotten son not to condemn the world, but that the world might know life through it, through him. And so as we celebrate Reformation Sunday today, we don't want to forget that God is calling us not to, just to more wisdom, not just to more knowledge, not just to more fight. He's calling us to a deeper and deeper love. A love for him, knowing that we can love because he first loved us, and a love for our neighbors, and a love for one another. I want you to come back tonight. Please come back at 6.30 this evening to hear more about this, to celebrate this great love, to celebrate this great movement of the Spirit. Again, as we come together at 6.30 p.m. tonight here in the sanctuary to talk, more about the, the, uh, to talk about more about the Reformation and to hear more about this vision, about how God is taking us out to spread this word of love and to train people through that. Come meet with our our. Uh, our church plant partners, our friends across the city, it will be a great time this evening, but we really want you, our First Presbyterian family, to be here. I want to thank Dr. Greg Perry for sharing with us this word this morning. And now, if you would, raise your hands to receive this charge and this blessing. Now go forth into the world in peace. Have courage. Hold on to what is good. Return to no person evil for evil. Strengthen the faint-hearted, support the weak, love and serve the Lord, rejoicing in the power of the Holy Spirit. And may the road rise to meet you. May the wind be always at your back. May the sun shine full upon your face and the rains fall soft upon your fields. And until we meet again, may God hold you in the palm of his hand. In the name of the Father, and of the Son, and of the Holy Spirit, and all God's people said, Amen. Amen.